My name is Dr. Ian Storch. I'm a board-certified gastroenterologist and osteopathic physician, and you are listening to DO or Do Not. If you're interested in joining our team or have suggestions or comments, please contact us at doordonotpodcast.com. Share our link with your friends and like us on Apple Podcasts, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, my name is Madley. I'm a fourth-year medical student, and you are listening to Do or Do Not. On today's episode, we have Dr. Perry Marshall, an emergency medicine physician in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Marshall completed medical school, his internship, and his residency all at Midwestern University Chicago College of Osteopathic Medicine. As a member of the Health Profession Scholarship Program with the Navy, Dr. Marshall served a three-year tour in Hawaii as a general medical officer in between his intern year and residency. He is now a professor and associate dean of interprofessional education at his alma mater, CCOM. Today, he will share with you his passion for teaching and mentoring future physicians. We hope you enjoy this episode. So thank you so much, Dr. Marshall, for taking the time to speak with me today. My first question for you today is, what does your normal day look like? Start in the morning when you wake up and take us through all of your work and responsibilities. Sure. Thanks for having me. This is a great opportunity, so thank you. Mm-hmm. In the morning, I usually get to work around 6.30, 6.45 in the morning. Um, as you can imagine, one day is not the same as any other First thing I usually do is respond to all the emails. So I try to make sure I respond to emails usually on the same day or at least within 12 hours. So that is a big priority. Another is working on projects. So I I have projects I'm usually working on. Two such projects, to give you an example, uh, was creating two new outreach programs for the medical students. So that is a project that took a few months to get off and uh, running. The other that we're trying is now grand rounds. So we're trying to do grand rounds for students, interdisciplinary grand rounds, once a term, so about three times a year. Those are examples of projects that I'm working on. The other that takes up a lot of time, as you can imagine, is attending meetings, such as the admissions committee, curriculum committee, that sort of thing. Lectures. I still lecture as much as I can, um, so I give presentations. And most of all, I would say meeting and being there for the students, helping them any way I can. That's probably my, that's my number one priority. That's what I view. So if a student needs to meet or wants to meet, anything like that, I make that a priority. I make sure that I can meet with any and all students that need to. I want to help them in any way I can. Mm -hmm. And then how did you learn about osteopathic medical school and what made you choose the school you ultimately attended? So I actually learned about osteopathy through my mom. She worked with two DOs when I was in grade school and junior high. Uh, One was one of the first DO neurosurgeons, and another one was an internist. That was at the old Detroit Osteopathic Hospital. And she would tell me stories. And I got so interested in medicine and the, the thought of being able to, back then the way I looked at it was fix people. I thought that was an incredible opportunity and it, I always wanted to hear more. 
I took all the science courses I could possibly do. I watched all the medical shows with her. People might remember St. Elsewhere, Emergency 51. I used to watch all the medical shows I could, and I never looked back. I mean, I was hooked on medicine since early junior high. In terms of how I picked out the med school I went to, I went to CCUM, and back then, I only applied to DO schools. I was really passionate about osteopathy, and I only applied to DO schools. And back then, there were only, I think, 14 or 15. That's all there were, so that's all the ones I applied to. And had lots of interviews, but CCUM really stood out. One of the reasons, and I think this is the biggest reason, was the collegiality. I really got a sense that everybody was in like on one team. It seemed like there was one class, not necessarily back then, 135 students. The students were really nice to us on interview day. They came up, they answered all of our questions. The other, of course, it was close to home, so that was ideal. And lastly, probably is uh, the reputation. CSWIM, you know, has an awesome reputation, so it was sort of a an easy choice at that time. Mm-hmm. And then how was your experience while you were there? Did you engage in any special extracurricular activities or anything like that that you really enjoyed? So while in med school, it was harder than I really thought. I mean, everyone says, you know, it's going to be really hard. And I don't think anyone really believes that when they hear it as much as they have to live through it to, you know, truly experience and understand it. So it was a lot of material. So it was a little bit more difficult than I thought. Being away from home, that was a little challenge. You know, being in a Michigan state, I was only like an hour away from home. And for the last three years, I had my own car. So that was easy. But, you know, being five and a half hours away from home, that was a challenge. There'd be times where you end up calling home and say, hey, what's everyone doing? Oh, you know, we're on the boat or we're celebrating mom's birthday or something like that. And you're sort of stuck studying. So that was, you had to make sacrifices. That was a little tough. Medical school itself, I thought was awesome. I got a great education. I met a lot of great people that some I still am in touch with today. Yeah, that's great. And then how did you decide on your specialty? So the way I decided my specialty, it it really was sort of easy for me because emergency medicine always stood out. It's just something that I was always interested in. And it was the idea of saving lives in the emergent setting. I mean, that that really hooked me. I felt it was a field where you could make a real difference, a very big difference in a very small amount of time. And I thought that was that was just absolutely ideal for me. I knew from rotations, the clinic setting was not ideal for me. I needed something that there was always something new popping in the door where you had no idea what was going to be coming in. And that, that appealed to me more than anything. You know, it, it seems like I just have a short attention span and EM <laughs> was a perfect fit for me. Yeah, if it works, it works. And how was your application process to residency? So mine was a little bit unique. It was different probably for most. I had a health professional scholarship program, and I did that with the Navy. So when I was about fourth year of med school, the Navy pretty much told me that they wanted me to do my internship you know, after med school 
And then they told me they were most likely going to reach out to me and, you know, have me do a general medical tour. So I remember this to this day. I was on call in the ICU during my internship and I got, you know, back then it was all pagers and I got a page and I already knew who that was. And it was my detailer. I went downstairs, went to the, the you know, physician's locker room, called him up and he said, hey, you know, I have three choices for you. And I said, okay, are they the same choices I put on my wish list? And he goes, no, none of them are on your wish list. That's <laughs> what a wish list is. It's only a wish list. And I said, all right, so what are my choices? And he gave me Japan. And then he said, Florida or Hawaii. And to me, I bar- he barely said Hawaii when I replied, Hawaii is perfect. You know, sign me up. So I ended up doing um, a general medical tour in Hawaii, um, and that was that was great. I was stationed at Pearl Harbor for the duration, and you know there I worked as the director of the acute care services and of EMS. Yeah, Hawaii's not a bad place to end up, I guess, no, if you have to do a tour. Great. Yeah. And so after your tour, you went back and I guess you completed your residency. And then how was your experience looking for a job afterwards? So it was actually very easy. I did my residency at the Franciscan, what's now the Franciscan Health Olympia Fields Program. And that worked out really well because when I was a senior resident, they were in the process of building a brand new emergency department. So that was really ideal. So they were building this massive new emergency room. The other thing that really attracted me to going to Franciscan as an attending were, and this was a real big thing, were the residents and the students. I wanted to go somewhere where I could still have interactions with residents and students because I always liked teaching them. So that was great. I thought, hey, I can. there's residents on different services, there's residents in the emergency department, and there's students everywhere. So it was a good teaching opportunity. The other is it was a level one trauma center at the time, and that was really ideal. I liked participating in that if I could. So that being a level one trauma center, that was, uh, that was very great. And the other is I just, it was comfortable working there. I liked the atmosphere. I liked everybody who worked there. I've rotated as a student, you know, they're all, you know, a lot of different rotations, especially in the emergency department. So I got to know the attendings, the nurses, the techs, everybody. So it's just, it was a comfortable atmosphere to work and it was nice. Mm -hmm. So you've mentioned a few times you enjoy teaching and you even do teach still. Can you tell us about your experience transitioning from clinical medicine to academia and what you like most about it? Yeah, that's, was this is a story of how this world is so small uh the (laughs) of all the people that reached out to me it was dr boyle the current dean of ccom and my very first pgy2 emergency medicine rotation was with dr boyle he was my attending when i was a pgy2 resident at bethany and that's where i had um first met him and then all of a sudden, a few, you know, several years in, uh, after I wasn't attending, uh, he reached out to me and said, would you like to do any teaching? And I thought, yeah, that'll be great. 
And to this day, I still remember the first lecture I gave was my stroke lecture to the second year med students. And that's sort of how I got involved. And after that, I was asked to participate in the Thursday labs for the second year medical students in the uh, afternoon. So I started doing that. And then I started doing the first year medical student lab Thursday mornings. So I started working there for the lectures and then I was there for Thursday labs. And that started for several years. And then I became the director of one of the second year courses, CSI. I was the course director for several years after that. And seven, eight years ago, I was asked to become full-time at CCUM as the OPTI curriculum director. So working in the GME department. And not too long ago, two years ago, I was asked to become associate dean of interprofessional education. So that is sort of like how I became involved and got to where I am with CCUM. It's you know, I think the most important thing is you just never turn down an opportunity when you're asked, you know, if you'd like to do something, you know, I always took advantage of those moments. Mm-hmm. I'm switching gears a little bit, but we like to ask our guests about how finances affect, you know, choice of medical school and then choice of specialty and jobs and et cetera. You mentioned that you did the health professions scholarship program. Could you speak to our listeners explaining a little bit more about what that is and what that entails? Yeah. The health professional scholarship program I learned about from my parents when I was a senior in college or a junior in college. And it was this program that seemed relatively new where they would pay for your medical school and afterwards, you would give them one year for one year the time, the, the amount of your scholarship. So if they paid for four years, you would give them four years back of your time, either as a general medical officer or, you know, as an attending physician, you know, whichever they needed. And I was sort of relatively nervous about it. It's like, you know, it's a, it's a big commitment. And it turned out to be one of the greatest things I did. I decided to sign up with the Navy and got my scholarship. And, you know, the the huge benefit of it, of course, is that you have no loans. They paid for everything. They paid for books. They paid for housing. They paid for everything. And I'm still getting benefits, you know, to this day. Um, the VA loan, where you don't have to have any money down to purchase a house, that was great. Even my son, you know, he's at Michigan State now as a freshman, and several colleges I found out have a program where if your parent was a veteran, then they can then they're eligible for in-state tuition. So oh wow! That was, I mean, when I found that out, when I, you know Michigan State had that program, that was huge. So that was a huge surprise. So because of that, he's only paying uh, in-state tuition. So I spent, you know, three years in Hawaii doing that. And it was a great experience. Had a lot of leadership opportunities. They, they definitely took me out of my comfort zone and then helped me along the way, which was really great. I was a chairman of a couple of committees that made me director of EMS. So it was a, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. 
what does your spouse do and have they been supportive of your career? So my wife is a paramedic and she's always been really, really supportive. You know, I've been really lucky to have all the support I've had all these years. She's been able to work as a paramedic part-time and that allowed, you know, allowed someone always to be with the kids, you know, after school and everything. So that was a great, that was great. And every, you know, we've been married, I think, 18 years now, and it's been awesome. I To be in medicine and, you know, go through the training and everything, I think it's really important that you have somebody that supports you. I think mm-hmm. that goes a long way. Definitely. Can you tell us one thing about you that has made you successful? Or in other words, what is your superpower? So that's a tricky one. Um, Yeah. I think if I had, if I had to name one thing, I would believe it's probably my ability to relate to the students. I think that is my, that is my number one priority is Mm -hmm. relate to the students. I try to put myself in their shoes, whether it was, you know, when I was lecturing or as a course director or the associate dean, I always try to put myself in their shoes and see things from their perspective. And I really strive to do that. And I think that probably helps me communicate with them and help them with any of the problems that they might be having or give them the advice that they're looking for. Definitely. And uh, we as students definitely appreciate that (laughs) coming from, from the admin and everything. Yeah. How do you obtain a work-life balance? What are some of your hobbies? So the number one would have to be traveling. Work-life balance, the, the way at least it works for me is establishing a work-life balance is always having something to look forward to. No matter what it is, I always try to have something to look forward to. Traveling is a big one. Love to scuba dive. Noah, my older son, got certified for scuba diving, and we've gone on a couple scuba trips, which have been fantastically fun. And, you know, on my PowerPoints, that reminds me, on the PowerPoints, you know, Mm -hmm. for my lectures, I often put pictures of all the trips we've been on. And the reason for that is to, you know, is to help let the students know and give them a little reminder that, you know, things are tough now, but definitely there is a huge light at the end of the tunnel and things are going to get a lot better. And I try to put that at the beginning of the lecture, just so, you know, they can keep that eye on the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Spending time with the family as much as possible. That is one thing trying to, uh, you know, get that work-life balance. You've got to remember, I think, that you have to keep your eye on how many hours you're working. Because Mm -hmm. before you know it, you know, the kids are going to get older and they're going to be moving to college. And it happens in a blink of an eye. And I was always cognizant of that. So I always tried to make sure I spent a lot of time with the family and doing things right now. I think, you know, when, like right now we're going to have a trip planned to, for this weekend is go up to the Michigan state game and see Noah. That's, that's an example. But I think when it comes to that work-life balance, 
you just have to try and limit the hours if possible that you're working. Definitely. Switching gears again a little bit. Do you think your path would have been easier or better if you were an MD? No, no, not at all. I've worked side by side all during my career, whether as a clinician or administrative with DOs and MDs. And I can't see my, um, you know, my life path or my career being any better or easier being an MD, not at all. In fact, being in the emergency department, it really, I appreciated osteopathy in the emergency department because it always reminded me to go the extra step and figure out not just what is happening, but why it happened. And that sort of thing that's always been in the back of my mind when working clinically is, okay, you know what's happening, but why is that happening? Go the extra step and try and figure that out. Mm -hmm. And then what are your thoughts on osteopathic manipulative medicine? Was that something you were able to incorporate into your fast-paced emergency medicine practice? Not on a consistent basis, but I did utilize it for like sprain strains, uh, torticollis, you know, I saw a lot of torticollis and that was a perfect time to use it. You know, simple muscle energy that I would do on myself. And I was like, Hey, this actually really works. This, this makes a difference in like 30 seconds. And I did that. So I did a lot of muscle energy for torticollis, things like that, and sprains and strains. And patients loved it. You know, they they really appreciated it because it, it gave relief, you know, really quickly. So I did use it in, the, in instances like that. Mm-hmm. And then final question for you. What was the best piece of advice you got throughout your education and that you think of and would like to pass on to other students? It could be from anybody in your lifetime. I think there's a few different things that I tell a lot of the students. Number one, you have to love the specialty you pick. Be careful and be cognizant of the specialty you're going to choose. I do a presentation on physician burnout. And part of that presentation goes back as early as students, you know, medical students in that in their career. And a statistic that I tell them is up to one third of medical students pick their specialty based on the amount of money it makes. And I'm always worried that that is probably, you know, not prioritizing the, it's not prioritizing it the right way because you really need to do this. You really need to love what you do. I think when that is the number one deciding factor is absolutely loving what you're doing. That's going to reduce mm-hmm. any possibility of, you know, burnout um, or at least um, it occurring, you know, early. So I think that's probably the most important. I've told students several times, and this is what I was told once, when, when you're trying to choose between two or three fields and you can't figure out the specialty you want necessarily, I tell students just close their eyes and then pretend you are waking up at four or five in the morning, what have you, and you're woke up, it's time to go to work, 
what specialty is going to make you want to go to work more than anything? What are you going to be the happiest doing? You're getting out of bed and you're going to do specialty X. What is going to make you the happiest? Sort of like a gut check. And I think that's um, a real, real good piece of advice. The other is during residency for residents. A lot of students are worried about, you know, where they do their residency at. And I would like to tell people to keep an eye on it is not necessarily where you're doing your residency, but how much work you're going to put in it. So, in other words, Mm -hmm. do your very best to put everything you have into your residency. Pick up those extra patients. Push yourself. Do your reading. You know, read all the time. And because... I think it's a matter of how much effort and how much work you put into your residency as opposed to necessarily where you're doing it at. I I believe it's what you put into it. The last bit of advice I, I usually give people is in regards to debt. One thing I see a lot of people doing, and it makes a huge difference, and it can be a little challenging, is watch your debt as a brand new attending. And one way you can do that is for the first one to two years while you're in attending, try to live like a resident. And I know that's a challenge. I mean, it was definitely a challenge for me. <laughs> I remember my first paycheck and I think I bought a new car in less than a less than a month after. <laughs> but if you can watch, if you can try to live like a resident and save that money in the meantime during the oh, the first one or two years, that will go a long way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are all great notes to end off on. So thank you again, Dr. Marshall, for speaking with us today. Absolutely. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. This concludes our episode of Do or Do Not. Send all inquiries, comments, suggestions, and even let us know if there's someone you want us to interview to do or do not podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at Do or Do Not Podcast for updates. If you enjoyed our podcast, please share it with your classmates and administration. We have plenty of more interviews lined up, and we're excited to share them with you. This is Tian Yu Shea. Thank you guys so much for listening to Do or Do Not.